0: chapter sixteen of chrome yellow by aldous huxley this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by expatriate in bangor maine chapter sixteen the ladies had left the room and the port was circulating mr scogan filled his glass passed on the decanter and leaning back in his chair looked about him for a moment in silence the conversation rippled idly round him but he disregarded it he was smiling at some private joke gombaud noticed his smile what's amusing you he asked i was just looking at you all sitting round this table said mr scogan are we as comic as all that not at all mr scogan answered politely i was merely amused by my own speculations and what were they the idlest, the most academic of speculations i was looking at you one by one and trying to imagine which of the first six caesars you would each resemble if you were given the opportunity of behaving like a caesar the caesars are one of my touchstones mr scogan explained they are characters functioning so to speak in the void they are human beings developed to their logical conclusions hence their unequalled value as a touchstone a standard when i meet someone for the first time i ask myself this question given the caesarean environment which of the caesars would this person resemble julius augustus tiberius caligula claudius nero i take each trait of character each mental and emotional bias each little oddity and magnify them a thousand times the resulting image gives me his caesarean formula in which of the caesars do you resemble asked Gambeau i am potentially all of them mr scogan replied all with the possible exception of claudius who was much too stupid to be the development of anything in my character the seeds of julius's courage and compelling energy of augustus's prudence of the libidinousness and cruelty of tiberius of caligula's folly of nero's artistic genius and enormous vanity are all within me given the opportunities i might have been something fabulous but circumstances were against me i was born and brought up in a country rectory i passed my youth doing a great deal of utterly senseless hard work for a very little money the result is that now in middle age i am the poor thing that i am but perhaps it is as well perhaps too it's as well that denis hasn't been permitted to flower into a little nero and that ivor remains only potentially a caligula yes it's better so no doubt but it would have been more amusing as a spectacle if they had had the chance to develop untrammelled the full horror of their potentialities it would have been pleasant and interesting to watch their ticks and foibles and little vices swelling and burgeoning and blossoming into enormous and fantastic flowers of cruelty and pride and lewdness and avarice the caesarian environment makes the caesar as the special food in the queenly cell make the queen be we differ from the bees in so far that given the proper food they can be sure of making a queen every time with us there is no such certainty out of every ten men placed in the caesarean environment one will be temperamentally good or intelligent or great the rest will blossom into caesar's he will not seventy and eighty years ago simple-minded people Reading of the exploits of the Bourbons in South Italy cried out in amazement to think that such things should be happening in the nineteenth century, and a few years since we too were astonished to find that in our still more astonishing twentieth century unhappy blackmoors on the Congo and the Amazon were being treated as English serfs were treated in the time of Stephen. Today we are no longer surprised at these things the black and tans harry ireland the poles maltreat the silesians the bold fascists slaughter their poorer countrymen we take it all for granted since the war we wonder at nothing we have created a caesarian environment and a host of little caesars has sprung up what could be more natural mr scogan drank off what was left of his port and refilled the glass at this very moment he went on the most frightful horrors are taking place in every corner of the world people are being crushed slashed disembowelled mangled their dead bodies rot and their eyes decay with the rest screams of pain and fear go pulsing through the air at the rate of eleven hundred feet per second after travelling for three seconds they are perfectly inaudible these are distressing facts but do we enjoy life any the less because of them most certainly we do not we feel sympathy no doubt we represent to ourselves imaginatively the sufferings of nations and individuals and we deplore them but after all what are sympathy and imagination precious little unless the person for whom we feel sympathy happens to be closely involved in our affections and even then they don't go very far and a good thing too for if one had an imagination vivid enough and a sympathy sufficiently sensitive really to comprehend and to feel the sufferings of other people one would never have a moment's peace of mind a really sympathetic race would not so much as know the meaning of happiness but luckily as i've already said we aren't a sympathetic race at the beginning of the war i used to think i really suffered through imagination and sympathy with those who physically suffered but after a month or two i had to admit that honestly i didn't and yet i think i have a more vivid imagination than most one is always alone in suffering the fact is depressing when one happens to be the sufferer but it makes pleasure possible for the rest of the world there was a pause henry wimbush pushed back his chair i think perhaps we ought to go and join the ladies he said so do i said ivor jumping up with alacrity he turned to mr scogan fortunately he said we can share our pleasures we are not always condemned to be happy alone End of chapter 16. Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine.